Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, P.I.'s Declassified listeners. It's another Thursday. You know, it's almost it's almost March. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, 2022. I am still. I'm. I'm still back in November. So um, I don't know about the rest of you. I feel like I've lost two two whole years, and here we are, Mar- almost March 2022. But I have a guest for you today that you're going to really appreciate. I think uh, John Gerard. Hello, John. Good morning, Francie. Uh, John is a uh, more than 20 year investigator in Las Vegas, Nevada. Now, I know you're all going to want to hear about how to do investigations in Las Vegas, because it's pretty interesting, casino-type investigations, uh, and, uh, of course, airports and all the things that go with surround a casino. And uh, as you probably know, Nevada is the uh, one of the most closed states in the nation about getting in without a license. So we may talk about that a little bit. Um, At any rate, John, one of the most interesting things that struck me when I was reading your your, your resume, and John and I have known each other for a little while, we're friends, uh, is I didn't know this about you. (laughs) You you were on a submarine. You were in the Navy and on a submarine. I didn't know that. Tell me about that. Well, um, we were on an SSBN, and... Uh, I don't know what that is. It's a ballistic missile submarine. Okay. So those are the ones that go out and are quiet, and they're supposed to be undetected, so that if nuclear war happens, that we can do uh, you know, strategic bombing of any place in the world. So really, it's a, it's a three-month mission, then you're home for a few months, somebody else takes the boat out, and then they come back, you take it over, and you go back out for three more months. You just kind of go in the ocean, disappear, and it's uh, it can be fun, monotonous, but uh, imagine 175 guys going to sea and being alone. It gets a little crazy out there, but it's always fun. I can't imagine. Well, first of all, I don't think I can imagine being underwater for three months, confined, how does that feel? Well, you just kind of forget about it, do your job, and when you're not working, you're either sleeping, eating, or watching movies, playing games, or doing drills. They keep you busy. Yeah. You, do, you work for six hours, you're off for 12, you work for six, and it just rotates around. Hmm. It's the military. It's a, it's a good place for most Americans that are young to go to, to get some discipline and some organization in their lives. For sure. How long were you in the Navy? Three years, nine months, and 11 days. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> yeah, I counted every day. I was, I was in love and, and married very young. Uh, so how old were you when you went in? 17. Wow. Yeah, well, what an education, for sure. 
Yeah. You're growing up without, you know, uh, active parents and one missing parent, you know, you don't have a lot of discipline. So either you realize you need help or you stay a knucklehead and go to jail. Why? You know, and and that's why I think we miss the draft a little bit, you know? Yeah, we do. Because uh, that di- that did provide a lot of entry-level discipline for people that didn't have it. Well, young uh, guys are, are, are pretty reckless, so it's a good place to go to get your feet underneath you. So I can't imagine you'd be reckless, John. You're so <laughs> careful. <laughs> God's good. He's helped me all out. Okay. That's great. So when did you become a PI? Oh, gosh. Almost 30 years ago. We were, uh, my wife and I were taking care of boys for the state of Nevada through a nonprofit, and uh, a neighbor of ours was a PI in the office complex we had a built, uh, our office at. And I just started striking up a conversation with him when I saw him from time to time, and he says, if you want a job, come over here. I'll, I'll put you to work. Was that Ed Gladding? No, it was Ed Gladding's firm. It was Mark White. He was a non-equity partner at the time. Okay. okay. Yeah, and Mark's yeah. still around. He's still doing some things, just a little bit less than he used to. And the Gladding and Michelle firm is still around as well, which is amazing. It is amazing. Good, good guys, good people. Uh, I really enjoyed working with them. I learned a lot. So did they? Uh, so what we're going to talk about today is uh, as investigating in casinos and and that kind of thing. Did they do that kind of work, or was that something you developed? No, it was already in progress. You know, any type of investigation that came across Mark's desk was, you know, taken in and assigned to staff. So I got exposure to that early on. Interesting. So uh, I mentioned that Nevada is is a, a difficult state for most of us private investigators that are outside of Nevada. <laughs> It I is. laugh at this because people are always trying to get investigations in Nevada, and of course, you have to be licensed there, or you have to uh, uh, jump through a lot of hoops to enter the state as a private investigator. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. If you aren't licensed here, you're supposed to develop a cooperative relationship with another firm that is licensed, and then you have to notify the PI board, um, put the Nevada... In, uh, investigative company on your insurance as an additional insured, and uh, then you have express permission from the PI board. It takes, you know, about a week to get set up, but you know, it's uh, it's not easy to do when you need a case covered right away. Particularly when you're on a hot surveillance going into the state. <laughs> yeah, That's no, we've met people at state line and taken over surveillance a number of times, or. They get them here, and then they contact us, and we go over mm-hmm. and take over for them. And a lot of guys just do the work here regardless. They don't care about the fines, and they really should. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, pretty awesome, the, the, the fines, because they build up. You have, you know, Yeah, your first, first offense, offense is 2500 yeah. second offense is five grand, your third offense is ten grand. Yeah. But on the other hand, there is a process now that you can work it out to go in the state because there didn't used to be at all. That's correct. The executive director, Kevin Ingram, has tried to help other companies. Uh, you know, Ultimately, he'd like you to get licensed here if you're going to do business here. 
mm-hmm. just keep things legitimate, keep things, uh, you know, within the fold. But also the licensing is very expensive. It's expensive and it's not easy. There's a, a written test and you have to have five years full-time experience that's verified. And after you pass the test, you go in front of the board after, you know, the board's doing a background on you. And if there's anything in your background, you know, financial problems or anything, they'll question you in front of, uh, in front of everybody who's there, the public, and the rest mm-hmm. of the board. And either you pass or fail at that time. Wow. Wow. I don't know of any other state that has uh, rules that are that strict. I heard Jersey's pretty strict as well. Is it? I don't know. I don't yeah. know their requirements, but I've heard they're very strict. Okay. All right. But you uh, have kind of, I mean, I know you guys, uh, your firm does a lot of different kinds of investigations because you've done them for me, um, but you kind of specialize in casinos and that kind of thing, right? We have a surveillance division and an SIU division. You know, we work for a lot of attorneys. The bread and butter for our work is general liability. Okay. Uh, the you know the domestic stuff is about maybe five to ten percent of what we do. Mm-hmm. But we do we're doing domestics literally every single week, multiple really? cases. But yeah, we're doing a couple thousand cases a year right now. Well, I guess it makes sense that Vegas would be a a hot location for domestics. <laughs> that just makes sense. It is. <laughs> People come here and forget where they're at, and they like to do what they like to do. And what stays in go, what? How does that work? What happens in Vegas stays in what Vegas. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> we used to have a tagline on our Yellow Pages ad back when there were Yellow Pages that what happens in Vegas doesn't stay there anymore. Well, that probably is very true too. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Truth is uh, truth. That's all that matters, right? Exactly. It's just about facts. Just about That's right. what you find. Yep. So, starting a surveillance in a airport or a hotel. Tell me about that. How do, where do you start? What do you do? The first thing is uh, landing your client and educating them because they have no idea. They just think everyone has contacts at the Venetian and the Wynn and they just call them up and you know secure a room and they can just tell you where they're at and you can use their security cameras. You know, we get inquiries all the time. My, my husband was there three weeks ago. Can you get the video? It's like, no, you can't. They're not, they're going to share that information with you. Right. So you have to educate the client what happens, where they're going, and then find out what information they have. Some clients have next to nothing and you have to develop it all on your own. And other clients have the entire itinerary and the person actually follows the itinerary. Because they'll sometimes give the spouse one itinerary and they're doing something entirely different, staying at a completely different hotel. Okay. Well, that provides obstacles. How do you you work that through? Just talk it through with them and see what their relationship is. Are they cohabitating? Um, How many times has he cheated on you in the past? And if I say he, I'm always interchanging that with she or what have you because... Mm -hmm. There isn't uh, more males and females. It's it's pretty much uh, pretty even across the board. But uh, we do more investigations on guys. It just uh, just the way it happens. But you have to talk to your client. What do they know? How comfortable are they with information? How often do they travel? And what's the detail on um, the information that they do have? 
sometimes the husband's sharing or they're getting into their information. They have the itinerary for the hotel and maybe the conference or whatever they're doing. And then you have to find out what level of service they want. Do you want them covered the entire day or just in the evenings? And then you go from there. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, what kind of cautions do you give the client? Number one, there's no guarantees for results. Uh, people do get lost when you're doing an investigation. I try to set up things so that if things ever do go wrong, they've already heard that things can go wrong. Because mm-hmm. if you have a client and you haven't warned them and one hiccup occurs, they can freak out and pull the plug. Mm-hmm. So you just set them up with all the, uh, the warnings and you know whatever it is you want to tell them about their particular case. And then, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, you're, you're going through and just making sure you have enough information to do your job. You know, they'll send a picture and, um, you know, that doesn't have their age, their height, their weight, their name, um, what their plans are, because they might have dinner plans that are on a calendar or whatever it is, and you want to have all of that information. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would suspect that many people calling in with that idea that they want somebody followed, do not have that information. More than half do. Do they? Yeah, and a lot of them are people that already know their their, their spouses are cheating on them. They've got mm-hmm. texts, sexting, they've got all kinds of proof, but they still want the surveillance. Which is crazy to me, but I guess... Yeah, and <laughs> if you're honest, you tell them, look, you really don't need to hire an investigator. You have all the proof that you need. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. if that was my spouse, I'd have a problem. Right. But it yeah. always comes down to they really want the proof. They want to see the footage for themselves. Yeah, I guess that's true. Although, uh, in my limited experience, I've found that uh, it doesn't matter anyway. They want to have the proof, maybe to hold it over their head, but nothing happens. A lot of times that's true. Yeah, Interesting. I've had the same clients for more than 10 years in domestic relations, and the spouse could be a serial cheater, and they just keep going, and they keep going. Mm -hmm. They just want to know, who is he sleeping with? Who is she sleeping with right now? And they're sharing a bed already. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's weird. It's odd. Okay. (laughs) It is odd. Okay. So then, okay, this, where do you go from there? You have you have your client, you have all your details that you're going to get anyway. And, uh, of course, you have your retainer, which uh, – and I, I want to ask you about that. How do you estimate what the retainer is going to be? Because you, I'm thinking you need to cover all contingencies. You do. So if the client doesn't know where they're going to go – you have to have at least two or three investigators on hand. Every domestic should have at least two cases, two investigators working on it. If the person says, hey, this person's coming into Caesar's Palace, I have the flight information, but I don't have the hotel information, there's more than one place to check in for these hotels. Some um, hotels have check-in areas at the airport, so I can check in at the airport and go off about and do my business, and I'll never see them again. <clears throat> so, but if we didn't know, um, Caesar's Palace, for instance, has five different hotel elevators. Mm. So how do you cover that if you don't know anything else? I don't know the flight. I don't know this. You have to have five investigators watching the hotel elevator shafts or the check-in areas for them 
to be checking in or going up into the elevator. That's amazing. And it can be very quick. Or you pick them up at the airport and you want to know what their mode of travel is going to be when they leave. Are they doing ride share? Somebody's picking them up. They're renting a car. They're taking a limo. There's four different areas to leave the airport. If you don't know which way they're going, you have to cover every contingency or they're going to get away from you. If you leave one uncovered, that's the one they're going to use. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. If you do surveillance at Mandalay, there's you know three different spots they can get off in the hotel. And then they also had the, you know, another hotel within the Mandalay so that you, know, you can go to a different check-in area, get on the elevator, go to your, your floors that are for that hotel, but then they can come down. They can go to the beach level, the hotel level, or um, a different level to get to the casino. So sometimes the client will approve you getting a hotel room. So if that happens, you want to be in line when they're checking in so that when, and you've got a burn investigator nearby, and that burn investigator will follow them up in the elevator to see which room they're going into. And then you want to get a room that you can see their door. Right. And then so that allows another option for videotaping their door because if I'm very discreet, I'm going to cheat on my, on my spouse, I can call a call girl. She'll meet me at the, at the base of the elevator. I'll literally come down and grab her, then go back up. The investigators might not ever see that, much less catch it on video. Right. So if you're videotaping the door, now you know who's coming and going the entire time that person is there. All right. So how do you find out what room they're going to be in so you can get a room close by? You follow them up in the elevator when they're checking in. Just follow them up. Okay. Yeah, just follow them up. But then, how- depending on the hotel, you might have to already have a hotel key to get through security. All right. So if you're standing in line checking in, and you have the burn investigator following them up to to uh, find out the room, then are you asking for a room on that floor? How does that work? We'll ask for a specific room number. Okay. I'll, I'll and- have rooms. Oh, number one, number two, number three, these are the ones that I can use that will allow me to get the footage I need. And then either they're available or they're not. And if they're all booked, then what do you do? Then it's too bad. You're not getting through. Mm-hmm. But it, you, you at least get the room so that you can get past security to follow them up when they do go to their room. Okay. This is all very fascinating. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty expensive. So to determine what your retainer is, you have to really walk through the case with the, uh, the client and determine exactly what they're wanting and what level of service. And depending on the property, depending on all the variables, you have to set your rates and then multiply it times the investigators and then the hours and then the hotel room and then per diem or whatever else you're charging them. And then that's your retainer. And if you don't have a retainer, you don't work it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's it's too much money you lose. Right. Okay. I and and you have a staff that can handle sounds like five to seven investigators on one case. Easily, yeah. That's amazing. All right. So then, okay, you're checking in. Then where do you go from there? Well, if you get the room, we set up a video system so that we can watch that person's room, and then. Since the uh, the October one shooting we had, 
all of the hotels here have changed their processes and procedures. You can hang your do not disturb tag, but they're still going in your room. Really? So every morning you have to stay in that room or have somebody stay in the room so that when the maids come through, you're, yep, you can open the door and say, yep, everything's fine here. And then they leave you alone. You can leave the room until the next morning. Wow. But then, <clears throat> yeah, you're running your camera the entire time, and you can check it each day for footage and see what you're catching so the client knows what's going on. And then the rest of the time, you're tracking your target. And do you stay in daily contact with your client? Yeah, our assigned investigators are always in contact with the clients through okay. whatever mode they are preferred, you know, WhatsApp or whatever it is. Okay. WhatsApp we don't, because feel, yeah, it's, it's encry- more confidential. It's encrypted, yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then we don't we don't have managers that are we have managers, but they're not micromanaging. If a staff mm-hmm. member is working for us and they're qualified, then they're allowed to have client contact, and they're managing the case through their manager. But all the client contact goes through your field investigators who are seeing everything. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's well. Let me find out if you got video. Then you call the investigator. Then you're calling back the client, and just. It's not very efficient. It's not good for client handling. Right. So have you ever had a client show up? Yeah, we have. And and how do you handle that? We just don't allow them to have any information. Yeah. And tell them, you know, if if a person looks like they're going to get, do anything stupid, we'll just walk from the case. Mm -hmm. I'll refund what's not used. I don't care. I'm not going to retire from one case. Right. But we're not going to play games with people. That's just, it's not smart. Yeah, I, <laughs> I know of a situation like that. It gets pretty weird. Uh, okay, so um, you mentioned to me that you have to know the inc- intricate details of every property. So do you have uh, maps of the hotels? How do, you, how do you work that out? Personal knowledge. You have to spend time in the casinos. Okay. Which casinos are linked to which casinos, how the elevator system works, how many elevator banks there are. You know, at the MGM, for example, they've got the main tower with four different elevator shafts. But in the front of the hotel, uh, toward Las Vegas Boulevard, there's another set of elevators to a different set of rooms. And then within the property, by the shopping areas and some of the casino areas, there's also additional room doors where you can go into and get into rooms. And on top of that, they also have the, uh, you know, the mansions. It sounds so complicated. I mean, just staying in a hotel in Las Vegas, you get lost. I can't even imagine doing what you're doing. It's, it's astonishing to me. You have to have good people and good communications. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then how does construction affect everything? Construction changes everything. Yeah. At the airport or the hotels, everything can change from one day to the next. Yeah, and I guess you're going to go out and pre-work cases and make sure you know what what's going on every time you have a case. So, and that's something that's that's always going to be built of the coin, anyways. Mm-hmm. And okay, so and how long does that take you to do that? The the pre maybe an hour or two. Okay, an hour or two at the most with travel time. And the case you were talking about where the person was at another hotel, how do you even find that out? If, they, if the spouse thought they were at one hotel and it turns out they were at another one, how do you... You either call every single property on the Strip based on what their, um, 
their level of influences. I'm not going to call a weekly motel for a guy who stays at the Bellagio, but I'll call right. the Venetian, the Wynn, the Bellagio, you know, I'll call the, the high-end hotels. Mm-hmm. And then you can just see if he's checked in or not. Right. They don't, you don't ask, has, has John Gerard checked in? You ask for John Gerard's room. And then right. when they connect you to his room, you have a good indication he could be there. So you always call it two or three more times just to make sure he is there. Do you find people check in with assumed names? Sometimes, yeah. Okay. Assume names or they give instructions to the front desk not to put any phone calls through to their room or to confirm that they're there. Absolutely. And the And the hotel follows those rules? Yes, they do. If you're a high yeah. roller, they'll do whatever you ask them to do. Yeah, interesting. They'll assign you a limo driver for the week or whatever it is your level of service requires. Hmm. And when you were talking about the mansions, what what is that? Tell me about that. Different properties have mansions or they have, you know, uber nice rooms. And um, they're just really private. They have their own entrances, their own exits, um, different places to pick up from the limos. So you really need to know those properties. Hmm. Okay. I'm just, I'm fascinated with this, John, because I've never thought about uh, the complications of doing a, an investigation like this in a property like you're talking about. I, it's just never crossed my radar. So it's really fascinating. It's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, particularly when you you get what you're looking for. Well, yeah, um, and evading things. Uh, hotel security, like at the Wynn, they have some of the best security. And um, they'll watch you. And if they figure out what you're doing, they'll 86 you from the property. And you can walk in the next day and security's going to be standing there waiting for you. Really? They're really good. They've got facial ID that they actively use in their security departments. Okay, let's come back to that. We need to take a quick break. John, this is great. We'll come right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. 
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. My guest today is John Gerard. He's our private investigator in Las Vegas, Nevada, and we're just talking about investigating um, cheating spouses and and uh, casinos and hotel security and such. So, you tell me more about the win, uh, John. This is fascinating with their facial identification. Yeah, we've had investigators uh, working on that property in particular, and uh, you know, if they figured out that you know you're using a covert camera or whatever it is. You know, if you're viewing it, they can view whatever you're doing. They can read paperwork in your hands. They can, they can see whatever you're doing. And then if they figure it out, they'll approach you, and then they'll escort you off the property and tell you you're 86. If you're 86, you're not allowed back on that property. How do they approach uh, A couple big guys will show up in dark suits and uh, just say, I know what you're doing, and you guys need to leave right now, and they walk you out. No warning. So once you've been made, how how does it work if you want, need to go back there on another case? That's not a big deal. Just you bring in new staff. Okay. Just rotate them out. Okay. But at some Do point, a turnover, you're going to run, you're gonna and, run out. And, and, no. No? Okay. <laughs> no. No. Somebody made a mistake. Somebody did something they shouldn't have done. You know, you don't review your covert camera on the hotel floor, the casino floor. Because they're mm-hmm. watching everything. Mm-hmm. And these days, the casinos haven't been that busy, so they have a lot more things to look at. The busier they are, the more difficult it is to catch uh, an investigator on your property. And they want to the protect win? their guests. For sure. For sure. Is the win the only one that has the facial recognition? They're the ones that use it, and uh, their security is really clean and really good. Interesting. Okay. All right. So um, how about a- airports? What do you run into at airports? Construction and just different routes out. You know, there's two different ways out of the airports, um, depending on what terminal you're in. So you got to know which terminal. There's more than one. And then know your egress points. Once you have them at the airport, you know, locating them, identifying them at the airport's your first challenge. Your second challenge is getting them to the airport, uh, from the airport to the property they're going to. Limos leave on the zero level. Ride shares come in on a different level. Private cars, a different level. Taxis, a different location. And then if you're going to take a shuttle to the airport rent-a-car, that's a whole different location. So you're going to have to have somebody at every Egress. Well, no, not necessarily. I need somebody, um, I need at least two guys inside to tag the guy and say, okay, that's my person. Then I need at least one wheelman outside. 
And there's right now we have a cell phone waiting area, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. So I can just go the wrong way wherever I want and pick up my guy. Okay. And then my crew can get their car and follow up later on. Okay. All right. And then the off-site so- car needs to have another guy with them in case, you know, they take a car and they get dropped off. You don't have time to valet your car or park it. You have to go with your subject. You can't just leave your car running. Mm-hmm. So your second person with your your uh, your tracking car just drops off a guy, and they go in and make sure they maintain contact with the subject. Okay, okay, hey, it's it's really complicated. Um, and so, what about your covert cameras? What kind of uh, how are you carrying those? Just depends on. Um, which investigator has which gear? You know, they could be, they're not cell phones per se, but they could be uh, key fobs or, um, you know, the, I don't even know the model number, but there's different cell phones that um, don't even look like a cell phone anymore. They look like super old. So just any kind of covert camera that you want to use that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not back in the days when you had the, the big VHS machine on your shoulder. <laughs> Which which might be kind of obvious. (laughs) Yeah, but we did use those back in the day. Really? Heck yeah, you had to. And how did you get away with that? Uh, We'd build bags with mesh and carry them around and, you know, hang them up on machines while you're playing and the other persons are doing whatever they're doing. Because you're not not sitting there getting film every second that that they're active. You're trying to let them go and do as much as they can and then you stay as far away as possible so that when they do misbehave, I can get in their back pocket and get really close and good footage. Right. So, John, I know you have uh, stories. Tell us some of the, the interesting cases that you've been involved in. Well, there's a lot of cases. <laughs> um <laughs> We had a high roller one time that came in, had um, his personal place at the property, had his own personal driver in a limo, and he would come down and gamble at different hours, <clears throat> and he would just take off wherever the limo driver wanted him to be, wherever he wanted the limo driver to be. So he'd go out different doors, different times, and we followed him for six straight days, and he was a perfect gentleman. Gambled a lot of money took care of, uh, you know, whatever he wanted to do here, and the wife just kept saying, go, keep going, keep going. And it was like, you know, 18 hours a day, he was up moving around doing things. And uh, it was coming up to his last day. It was the seventh day of the case. And that's the day he uh, took his limo and went over to the Hard Rock, walked in and literally picked up a girl at the bar and walked out and went down to uh, um, downtown, not the strip, and it started walking around, hugging, holding hands, and you know, you never would have thought that would happen after six days of no activity. Wow! But it happens. Hmm. Or you know, uh, a prominent person flies in on a private jet, and the wife wants to know. She already knows he's cheating. This is one of those repeat cases. She already knows he's cheating. He's supposed to be here on business, doing what he does, but um, he spends his whole time with. Um, a call girl that he brings in from a different part of the country every time he comes and he shops with her all day long and he'll buy his wife things and he'll buy her things at the same time. The same stores he goes into are the same stores that he brings his wife to. Everyone knows who he is. 
and uh, she wants to know which credit card he's using. She wants to know what color shoes, what color scarves, everything. So you have a whole crew working on that one, and it just rotates around. Amazing. And, and that'll go for a couple of days at least every time he comes. And this is somebody that's an ongoing regular yeah. client. Yeah, exactly. Huh. She has a high list of demands, and we are able to deliver what she needs, and we just get it done. Incredible. Yeah. We had one case where another PI hired us, and it was a a disaster case. Um, They uh, wanted to have one of their people here to supervise the case, not work it, just supervise it. But when their person got here, he wanted everything to go through him, and everything fell apart. He wanted us to check in. He wanted to set up where we, where we were going to be stationed, and we just said, okay, it's not going to work, but go ahead. And literally everything he did was wrong because he wasn't familiar with the area, you know what I'm saying? Right. That would, that's a big thing. What's yeah, your describing? They're, they're trying to capture some of the investigative dollars on the case and micromanage your, your, you know, your field team. And, you know, the whole thing backfired. They were not happy with what the results were. I'm sure that's true. So uh, have you had a situation where the target of the investigation has busted you? Uh, yeah, it's happened. It hasn't happened in a, long, in a long time, knock on wood. Yeah, I've been personally chased um, by people trying to get oh. to our cameras. Okay. But again, I know the back of the house. I can go through a door and I know where it goes. And I can go to the bowels of the hotel. They're never going to find you. Uh-huh. But so that's, what, that's pretty rare. What was the circumstances where you were chased? That was probably my second year as an investigator. Okay. <laughs> and it was that high roller guy that was here for a week. And uh-huh. um, I was crouching down behind some bushes, and there was a cab block in my way. There's a whole line of cabs. And the, you know, the activity started happening. I had to get some footage. So I'm across the street, and there's these cabs in the way, and... I'm filming away, and another investigator was with me, and she was watching, and then she thought I saw the cabs move because they all left, and I never saw it because I was focused on my subject. <laughs> there you <And> were. <laughs> then, yeah, he had two bodyguards with him at the same time. <laughs> and I looked through my viewfinder, and I'm filming, and then the bodyguards look back. I'm like, that's odd. I'm behind cabs. They can't see me, but they're really staring at me. You feel naked when you get burnt. Uh-huh. And then they started walking toward me, and then running. I'm like, oh, shit. Pardon my French, but I had to get up and go. So they chased us a bit, and uh, we went over to, that was at the time, was the horseshoe. And the horseshoe was a client, so I knew exactly where to go. It was no big deal. Which brings up another question. Do you have casinos that are clients? Absolutely. Most of them are. What kinds of investigations do you do for them? Workers' comp, general liability, backgrounds, employment, employment, uh, employment backgrounds, so does that give you any latitude at all with your other investigations? No, you don't you don't blend the two and you don't ask for favors like that. That's not your administrative or your legal or your workers comp, they don't interfere or interface with other parts of the casino. So every casino has its own method of how they do their business, but they're pretty divided and you don't mm-hmm. you don't really mix the two. 
Interesting. There's, See, there's cases like, oh, oh, we'll get a case, and, you know, we always do our due diligence checks and um, conflict checks, and we'll investigate the same people for different properties. And the property that we're doing the investigation on currently might say, well, he's got a bad back. Well, do you know he's had a bad back three times at three different casinos? Okay. And then that's helpful. And, um, you know, we've, I've had other cases where you just do your checks before you're doing your surveillance and the person's out on comp for a bad back, but you find a case three years before or seven years before where he sued um, the bus company because of an accident and a bad back. It's like, you guys might not even need to do this surveillance. Are your uh, workers' comp files open for access? What does that mean? Oh, no, no, okay. no. There's, there's no access for that. No access, okay. No, but they can also run um, the ISOs as well as the carrier. Okay. So you can get that information about their prior workers' comp cases. If need be, and sometimes adjusters don't know what an ISO is, and you have to educate them on what it is. Yeah, well, you want to you know, talk about what that is? What an ISO is? Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it's uh, an insurance database that identifies any claims made against or by a person for motor vehicle losses, general liability, or property losses. And it's a historical record that goes back as far as their claim history goes. And it tells you what, when, where, and what was claimed. Is it property or is it, you know, um, personal injury, et cetera? And only the insurance company has access to that? The only ones that are supposed to have access to that are people that are putting data into the system. So if you file a new claim you should, and, you're, and you're part of the ISO system, you should have access to that data. Most claims adjusters should. Okay. If not all, right. all of them. Right. Okay. All right. So, um, I had a I had a question that was on the tip of my tongue, and now I've lost it. But um, going back to trusting the data supplied by the target, how do you um, how do you verify that? Just field work. Okay. The guy shows up. He's getting off the plane. You know, you, you'll have a whole case set up, and the guy never shows up. Well, the trip that he had told his his spouse that he was going to Vegas for, he was really going to San Diego. Right. <laughs> he never showed up. So, and then right. he'll be telling. You know, you're on a case. It's it's amazing how much people are trusting their spouses that are cheating on them. They're investigating for a reason, and I think our percentage is like 95 percent of the people that we investigate for cheating spouses are actually cheating. They already know they're cheating. Uh huh. But they still believe them for some darn reason. I don't, I don't get it. You're with the person. They're with somebody else. They're doing something inappropriate. They're at a different lo- at a location, the steakhouse, let's just say. And you're telling the client, this is what we're doing. This is where they're at. No, that's not where he's at. He's at the Circus Circus. No, he's not. He's here. No, you're wrong. You're following the wrong person. So you have to send them you know, clips to show that the person's actually somewhere that they're claiming they aren't. Well, I can. Okay, so if they're telling you that you're following the wrong person, does right. that sometimes morph into, well, I'm not going to pay you anymore? No, I've already been paid. Yeah, it doesn't matter because okay. I have a picture, I have other identifying factors for him, and we're following the guy. And I can mm-hmm. send her a picture or him a picture and say, okay, that's your spouse. Yes, it is. Okay, well, we're not at the Circus Circus, we're at <laughs> Steve Wynn's Steakhouse. 
<laughs> and then they get pissed off at their spouse, not at us. <laughs> oh, well, how many times do they get angry with you guys? Not very often. Not very often? No, not very often. It's all, you got to communicate. you got to treat people the right way. And, you know, you're running a service. You're running a business. And they're going through some things, and you have to be, you know, able to break news to people or just share the truth with them. So you were talking about uh, staying in the room until the until the room service or the maid service got there. Has have any of the hotel staff ever gone in the room after you've left and busted you that way? Not busted us, but they've gone in and um, then cleared out all the gear and said, "You guys have to leave." Really? Right after ten one, they started all these new changes, and they weren't you know they don't broadcast them to the public that we're going to do this. They just do it. So after the 10-1, yeah, that, was, that caused some problems for us because okay. we didn't uh, realize that they were going to come into the room when the, uh, you, know, the, uh, you put the sign on the door, do not disturb, but they're coming in anyways. Oh, if you don't answer the door, they're coming in. So in some cases, I suspect you have to make sure that somebody's there the whole time. Not the whole time, just until their morning checks are done and then you're fine. Then okay. you can abandon the room. You can vacate it. Okay. What advice do you have for some up-and-coming investigator who wants to get into this kind of business? Um, it's, I won't say it's impossible, but it's very difficult to do by yourself. You need to build a team of people that you work with and communicate with and trust. And then, you know... Um, have the right gear, get the right training, get on with a good company, and uh, you know everything should take care of itself. I always found, Francie, that if you do the right thing, good things will follow. It doesn't mean bad things don't happen, but when you're doing the right thing day after day, you're going to be rewarded. That's good advice. Absolutely good advice. What do you see as the downfalls of doing this kind of investigation? I don't see any. No? No, there's no downsides. The downsides are that families break up, children grow up without parents. Um, you know, the, the underside of a person's character comes out when um, their spouse finds out what they're doing when they're not looking. The best measure of a person is not how they act in front of other people. It's how they act when they're by themselves. It's a so it really, can be here, it can yeah. be, you know, Vegas is known as Sin City. But I tell people all the time, you might be from North Dakota, South Dakota, whatever it is. You have the same things I have here. You've got gambling, you've got prostitution, you've got drugs. It's just on steroids in Vegas, that's all. <laughs> For sure. For sure. So what, what other kinds of things would you like to tell uh, the listening audience? Do you have any, any uh, I mean, you've talked about the high roller guy that comes there all the time with his own limo. Uh, what about others? Other cases? Yeah, other cases. What, do you, is there one that sticks in your mind that was really, uh, the outcome was different than you expected? No, it's, 
the five percenters are, are the always the cases that are um, they're great in the sense that you can tell your client, look, your spouse has done everything right. There's nothing to be um, worried about with him when he's here in Vegas or she's here in Vegas. Some people are just paranoid and they're crazy and they're like, I need to know. He's, I know he's cheating. I know she's cheating. Or, you know, you do surveillance on somebody and there's beautiful people at the bar and they're not talking to them. They're on their phone or they're looking at the sports book. You can tell a person's intent by how they behave. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's beautiful women everywhere. There's beautiful guys here. There's, it's, it's a great place to come and play. So if you're, um, you're bent toward that, you are, and it's, uh, it's where people imbibe on it. Or if you are just doing your thing and you're here for a conference and it's work, that's what you're doing. And the, and the wife or the husband doesn't believe you. They're in, they believe that they're cheating and no, nothing you say is going to change it. No, um, quite, quite contrary. It's, it's really in your delivery. It's not, hey, your spouse isn't cheating. It's your spouse hasn't done any of the things you're anticipating, and here's what he's actually been doing while he's here. Okay. And you explain the behavior. This is when he comes out. This is when he's doing these things. This is what he's doing here. This is what he's doing here. A gorgeous model walked by. He didn't even look at her. Mm-hmm. Or he looked at her, and he looked at her in her face. Because you can watch a person's eyes, Right. Right. I've been married for 36 years. If a gorgeous woman walks by and I look and it happens, you know, um, I'm a guy. Yeah. My wife will always track to the woman. It's like, oh, that's what he's looking at. (laughs) Our Uh, wives know everything that we're doing. (laughs) My husband and I have the same relationship. I just have to laugh. It is what it is, right? It is what it is. It's too funny. But if you're if you're looking at that person, you're undressing them, your wife's going to check that stuff out too. And that's yeah. what you're conveying to your client. Yeah. He's really talkative. He's flirting with people, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're right. You, you can tell. You can tell what uh, typically what the motives are by just observation. Yeah. Just pay attention. Yeah. This is this is just uh, so interesting to me, John. Thank you so much for uh, sharing all this uh, with us. But uh, you had mentioned this subcontracted case that went bad. Uh, what do you tell other investigators that want to subcontract to you for a case in Vegas? Tell me what what's the list of things you tell them. Well, um, I have standards on what we're going to accept, and our associate rate is what it is. I know in a lot of states I can hire an investigator for 35 or 50 bucks an hour, and then I'm billing my client 100 or 150, whatever it is, so I'm making more than the investigator in the field. Mm-hmm. My preference is always to give my cases that I'm referring to an investigative company that can get the job done. I'm not dependent upon a case for my income. There's enough work everywhere where we live. and I don't care what city you're in. There should be enough work for you to do your job to keep you alive and for you to do very well if you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. So if they want to pay my associate rate, which is not 50 bucks an hour, uh, then you know that's what we're going to do. If they want to subcontract it and they want to pay a small rate, 
they need to talk to mom and pop down the store, down the street. Mm-hmm. I don't have, I'm not doing it. And it's not about anything other than, look, you're going to want updates. You want this. You're, you're going to have a whole laundry list of things that you want, but you want to pay me the least amount possible. Right. I want to give you Cadillac service and I want to get paid for my time. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you should you should find somebody else to to sub it out to that's willing to go by your rules. You know, I have I have rules for people that we sub work to. I don't I don't sub that much work. If I'm subbing it, my client knows. And so the situation uh, that you described, where the guy wanted to be, be micromanaging everything, would you ever take a case like that again? No, we'd have to set it up differently. You live and learn, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I can't imagine what a disaster that could have been. Um, it was a disaster. Right. Yeah, somebody doesn't know what they're doing. Somebody doesn't ha- have the ability to plan things out and understand all the intricacies. Uh, I can see how that just could really blow up in your face. Yeah, he was a fish out of water. Ultimately, the, the biggest problem is that the client didn't get what they were paying for. Mm-hmm. And that's a travesty. It should, that should never happen. Right. It's not about money. It's about getting results. You get your results, the money's going to follow. Don't worry about money. They are, they're going to fund your investigation in advance. Now your right. job is to get the results. Right. Right. You need to give them what they paid for. Exactly right. Yeah. Just don't break the law. Don't do stupid things. Don't, you know, expose them to liability. Um, you know, can you go in the hotel room and, and check around? And like, absolutely not. It's completely <laughs> illegal. Put, it, uh, put a camera in the hotel room. That's another question. No, I'll no, bet. no, no, no. Yeah, <laughs> no. No. Okay. This is great, John. Thank you so much. We're at the end of our hour, but uh, you certainly Thank you for having educated me. Thank you really nice. Yeah, you educated me for sure, and I know you've educated others. I appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you, and you have a great and day. Thank you, and to the rest of you, it's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 